Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, number 108. And today we're going to be talking to you about which cities have the best and worst building permits, zoning and planning applications. I'm a real estate investor and a broker at a company called Rare Real Estate, and my name is Daniel Foch. I'm Dan's co-host. My name is Nick Hill. I'm a real estate investor, mortgage agent at a company called Land Bank Advisors. And before we get into today's episode, let's quickly touch on a few things, Dan. First thing is reviews. We want them. We need them. You got them. But in all seriousness, we love reviews and ratings. They really help the show. They help our confidence levels and let us know that you guys are liking what we're doing. So if you could take a second and write us a review, that would be amazing. Rate us five stars and share this podcast with a friend. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we like to read the reviews as well. It helps us to get feedback on why the show's good where it needs improvement. Um, and we like to give these people a shout out. We all, I had somebody message me. They're like, I've shared the show with 30 people. So <laughs> if, you, if you've shared the show with more than 30 people, we want to hear from you. Love um, it. Not opposed to some record setting going on in that space. Um, you know, we also have merch, hats, t-shirts, of course. We have the Live, Laugh, Leverage pillows. And these are all available at realestatemerch.ca. Uh, meetups are starting to come together. We have a bunch of amazing people on board. They're taking leadership roles across the country. So if you want to get involved, whether you are across or wherever you are across the country, reach out to us, let us know. First um, panel meetups, we're going to aim for, I think, September 12th at mm-hmm. this point. So there should be meetups in a lot of cities across Canada on that day. You are correct, sir. And you know what? The team has grown. It's amazing. Remember that time I came up with that great quote, Dan, that teamwork makes the dream work? Yeah, one of your best and super original. Well, thank you. I try. And by the way, for the events, we market them as real estate investor events. But honestly, they are for anyone just trying to get into investing as well. I had someone DM me and ask if they could go to an event, even if they don't own a property yet and they plan to buy and they were kind of more in the exploratory phase. My answer was, of course, hell yes. That's exactly where you should be going if that is the stage of your career that you are in. But anyways, let's get into today's episode. Dan, remind us what we're talking about and let's dive right in. So today we're going to be talking about building permits, everyone's favorite thing. <laughs> I, uh, I've i never heard of them. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Don't do that. Not financial advice. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be, going to be looking at, uh, we're going to be looking across the country at how they work in different municipalities, specifically this report that's called the Municipal Benchmarking Report. It offers insights on how to improve municipal processes, fees, and charges that are impacting housing affordability and supply in Canada. Yeah, and we're going to be looking at the CHBA, that's the Canadian Home Builders Association. Yes, that's right. Another initialism. And thank you again, Dan, for sorting out the difference between acronyms and initialisms a couple episodes ago. We like to create value for our audience here. For sure. So, I mean, if you're not learning about real estate, you're learning about, you know, initialisms. Um, Just a reminder, an acronym is made up of parts of a phrase that stand for, and it's like a word that's pronounced like NASA or ASAP. And an initialism is uh, an acronym that is pronounced as letters like DNA or, in this case, CHBA. I thought it was NASA 
from the trailer park boys. He's like, I don't own <laughs> NASA own space. I'm a naysayer. Um, long story short, in real estate investing, there are no shortage of either acronyms or initialisms. So today we're going to be introducing a new one and doing a deep dive and just let's get a little background on the CHBA. So this is from their website. Since 1943, the Canadian Home Builders Association, the CHBA, has been the voice of Canada's residential construction industry. Representing one of the largest industry sectors in Canada, our membership is made up of over 8,500 companies, including home builders, renovators, land developers, trade contractors, product and material manufacturers, building product suppliers, lending institutions, insurance providers, and service professionals. Wow. Really all-inclusive in there. Um, and this just, you know, before I'll to pause there quickly, this goes to show you how many people it takes to actually construct a home, right? Look at that. You've got not only the, the builders, but the manufacturers, the insurers, the suppliers, etc. It continues to say the CHBA seeks a strong and positive role for the housing industry in Canada's economy and in the life and development of our communities. In addressing this goal, we support the business success of our members. We work to ensure Canadians have access to homes that meet their price and they can afford to pay and that the interests of home buyers and homeowners are understood by governments. These are some pretty bold statements right here. And we provide information to Canadians to help them become more informed and confident when they buy a home or hire a renovator to improve their existing one. The CHBA released its 2022 Municipal Benchmarking Study that examines how local development processes, approvals, and changes affect housing affordability and housing supply in major markets across the country. So they look at 21 Canadian municipalities in three key areas that ha that affect the development of new home construction. And if you want to go see how your individual municipality stacks up, you can just go on the, the website. We'll put a link in the show notes as well. And they have little scorecards for each, each municipality. But they look at municipal planning approval processes, number one. Um, number two is municipal charges imposed on new development. So the cost, like there's taxes. If you want to bring a new unit to, to market, you have to pay a fee. And then number three, the municipal approval timeline. So how long it takes to get it done. In, in doing this, they highlight key features that help or hinder the process of bringing new housing to approval and ultimately construction, as well as the cost implications for buyers of the, the processes and how much of that cost ends up getting stacked into you buying this unit at the end of the day. And it's interesting from my perspective, because this was, this was supposed to be like an episode that we did back to back with another one when we were talking about how Canada has the, some of the most um, or the highest uh, taxes on new construction, something like 31% of the cost structure of a new house mm -hmm. is, is tax. Um, and I think it was like, the joke was like, how to create a housing crisis, part one and part two. Anyway, this is part two of how to create a housing crisis. <laughs> it's ta tax, tax the shit out of new supply and then make it very, very slow to build as you're about to, about to learn. Simple two-step process. Um, Honestly. <laughs> yeah. uh, the report is intended to support the important conversations with all levels of government, but particularly with the municipal governments on the efficient delivery of much needed new housing supply, including the impact 
that major inefficiencies and taxes have on housing affordability, Hmm. which is already a major challenge across the country. We've undertaken this work to showcase where municipal governments have the policies and systems in place to support supply and affordability and to provide a path forward for improvements where things aren't working well. And that is a direct quote from the CHBA CEO, Kevin Lee. We should have him on the show, actually. If anybody knows Kevin Lee, tell him to send him this episode and tell him to reach out. We'd love to chat. (laughs) So the rankings for each study are available in the full report. The the rankings show which municipal governments are leading in the three areas, planning features, approval timelines, and municipal charges, and it gives an overall ranking. Yeah, so let's go through some of the key findings. I'll start things off here. The cities of Edmonton, Charlottetown, Calgary, and London rank the highest overall on the list with strong rankings in at least two out of the three categories studied. All 10 Greater Toronto, Hamilton, and Metro Vancouver municipalities are ranked at the bottom. Shocker. Well, that's, that's good because, you know, nobody needs housing there in those areas. <laughs> They're low demand. Uh, this study shows significant variations in the approval timelines of the municipalities. This is, this is a definition of significant variation, ranging from three months in Charlottetown to 32 months in Toronto. Wow. Wow. It's so funny. I, I think I did a, a reel or TikTok TikTok thing on this, like a video, and it was like, there's a good chance that Toronto has the slowest building permits in the world because Canada has the second slowest in the OECD a- after only Slovakia, which it's in their name. <laughs> I think we made this joke already, yeah. right? Um, and then, so you have the slowest city and the second slowest country. There's a good chance, honestly. Congratulations, Toronto. Oh, man. So (laughs) compared to uh, the 2020 study, municipalities in Ontario saw their timelines worsen. That's good. Yeah, great. Good work, guys. Um, While non-Ontario municipalities saw their timelines improve. Hmm. Now, the average cost of government charges levied by municipal governments on low-rise new housing developments averages almost 62000 a unit. Toronto is at the high end of that with government charges amounting to $189,000 a unit. Man, that absolutely wild, absurd. Wild. Yeah, and these are the, the champions of affordability are politicians here the average cost of government charges levied on municipal governments levied by municipal governments on high-rise housing development averages 41,000 a unit vancouver is at the high end with government charges amounting to over $125,000 per unit and it's interesting because um mike moffett released a chart about this but it was what portion so so vancouver you're seeing a big shift to purpose-built rental which we talk a lot about on the show away from condo tenure because in Vancouver you get a discount on development charges for rental rather than condo. So um, Toronto is actually the only city that doesn't have that or that of the big three, I think. And it, so it was, it was just a comparison of why are we not seeing, why does the economics of purpose-built rental not work in the city of Toronto? Well, mm. taxes could be a, a big answer to that question. And even you're even getting CIBC, Ben Taub, put out a brief basically saying it's time to defer or waive HST on purpose-built rental. We like, we desperately need to incentivize. And when we're seeing condo constructions reduced by like what 60%, 
new start new condo starts yeah not a, um, not a good some, well something's yeah i mean something's got to happen here it's really messy anyway how do how do municipal processes approvals and government fees and charges affect housing affordability in canada from the report yeah so the study is intended to help establish standards that municipalities can and should aim to meet and that industry and public can and should call for well supporting data and best practices to show the way so the report has good intentions and it It's supposed to be an opportunity to start a productive conversation for all of those involved, identify best practices and ways to improve these kind of broken processes and opportunities for governments and industries to work together. That's a good idea to tackle affordability and other housing crisis challenges. Yeah, it's all just from the Arthur theme song working (laughs) to get, get what is it get together and make things better. I just uh, taking it back. Ziggy Marley actually. Great tune. Great tune. (laughs) Still stuck in my head. I'm going to be singing it all day now, actually. Sorry to everyone who I just tipped off on that one. It's a good (laughs) song to have stuck in your head, though. Anyway, housing affordability continues to be a challenge in all parts of the country. A key component of that is the price of a home. And the major part of the price is the cost to build it, right? We've talked about this, how, you know, ultimately creation costs are a big uh, strength on the price floor of housing in Canada. Like there's a reason that the bottom can't just fall out of the market here. And it's because those costs um, are continuing to go up. I would imagine they could get deflationary at some point in the future in a recession, but for now they're relatively solid. So in Canada, municipal processes, approvals and charges have been steadily increasing. And this is a component of those creation costs, the taxes and the delays. You have to remember also the timeline costs money. People who buy land have to pay interest on the loans that they're buying these multi-million dollar uh, pieces of land for. So this all adds cost to the building of both low-rise and high-rise housing, contributing to higher prices and ultimately eroding affordability. And it's not that developers are mean or greedy or whatever. And it's the the reality is they won't build it or sell it if they're going to lose money. And we're seeing that right now. They've taken these things off of the market because it doesn't make sense to build them. The, fi- the, the numbers just don't work. And so what that materializes in is if they, you know, you see a, a, a decrease in supply, which exacerbates the housing shortage when the numbers don't make sense. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, it's, it's so misunderstood. And, and I think the general population that developers are, you know, these, these greedy people that won't do, but they're, it's not. It's it's business. It's it's numbers at the end of the day. It's very simple. And if the numbers don't work, things get put on hold until the numbers do work. Um, the report goes on. The municipal benchmarking study was commissioned by the CHBA and delivered by Altus Group, who we've used many of their studies on the show before. Uh, the study compares 21 Canadian municipalities examining how their processes, approvals timelines, and charges and fees contribute to the housing affordability and supply issues in major Canadian housing markets. The report reads as a report card to show which municipality and which governments are leading in which of the three pillars of the study, planning, system features, approval timelines, and government charges. I love how they've like gamified this whole thing. (laughs) Like it's not that bad. It's a report card. Like have fun with it. Yeah. I guess um, 
the governments are those kids who just <laughs> don't care about the report cards, maybe. I don't know. It is... Uh, anyway, so each participating municipality was assigned a score as a result of this, like Nick was mentioning. It's very gamified and, and based on their performance on planning features, approvals, timelines, and government charges. So this ranking system is basically a shorthand to show which municipal governments are leading in which of the three areas, as well as the overall ranking. Um, subsequent studies that they're planning to do will show how changes in the approach taken by municipal governments to improve housing affordability will will help here. And when I look at this list, it's like if I'm an ad value investor or a developer, there's, there's two ways to look at it, right? Number one is if you're really action-based and you, you need to get things done to make your thesis work, you're probably going to want to focus on the top of the list. If you're, you know, if your thesis is based on a market that has scarcity and is difficult to do things, and maybe your consistency or persistence or ability to keep moving the municipality along is um, is a competitive advantage for you, then maybe the bottom of the list is actually going to be an area where you'll do better because you know you can establish a competitive advantage just by being ruthless with your follow up <laughs> in getting your permits. Honestly, right? Yeah, exactly, Dan. I mean, I think there's a lot of value to be extracted from this list if you know how to do it. But let's just talk about the list. Let's get right into it. Do you want to? Do you want to do any of these, or do you want me to just go through the whole thing? No, give me the list. Okay, you can do it. Numero uno, Edmonton is number one in planning features, and again, this is the list from best to worst for the overall scorecard across all those three categories. So again, Edmonton number one. Charlottetown, number two, but they are number one in approval timelines and government charges. Calgary in a number three, London, Ontario, number four, Regina, number five, Winnipeg, number six, Saskatoon, seven, Halifax, eight, St. John's, nine, the capital, Ottawa in number 10, Moncton, 11, Vancouver, 12. I That's, that's a bit interesting. Surrey 13, Oakville 14, Hamilton 15, Brampton 16, Burnaby number 17, Center of the Universe number 18, that's Toronto by the way, uh, Pickering 19, Bradford West Gwillenberry. I have no idea how Bradford made it on this list by the way. Um, Probably because of the dinner jacket. <laughs> and Markham at 21 to round things off. Man, it's actually hilarious that you could have basically just said from 14 on is all places in the Greater Golden Horseshoe except yeah. for Burnaby. Yeah. What a shame. Like, are <laughs> they, there must be some sort of collusion. It's like, hey guys, why don't we all slow down our building permit processes here? And then, I mean, it could be an oversubscription to be fair, right? It could be that there's just mm -hmm. way too much mm -hmm. demand. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, I've always said that I think there's opportunity and I think had moving forward as you start to see commercial real estate tax income suffer as a result of, you know, work from home and a lot of changes we're seeing happen in the, in the commercial real estate space that municipalities are really going to have the ability to compete with one another for investment through how well they can deliver housing, you know, economic principle is firms exist to make profit, right? Um, municipalities are technically incorporated. They're corporations. And so they should exist for a similar purpose. Most of them seem pretty bad at that, to be honest. It's almost like a competition on who can accumulate more, 
more debt, but <laughs> um, as is the game, I guess, in the in the space of sovereign states. But um, I think that, you know, in the GTA, Greater Golden Horseshoe, Greater Vancouver area, municipalities who adopt sooner the these like fourplex everything um, zoning changes, upzoning like we're seeing in Toronto, I think really have a, a good ability to actually take capital away from especially during a recessionary period take capital away from a lot of these other areas like and, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that whole thing shapes out like I think the first municipality in the GTA not in Toronto to match Toronto's upzoning with the four four units or maybe even six um, is going to see an absolute huge inflow of residents of capital of investment potential price appreciation etc yeah I completely anyway. agree um, back to the report. So they talk about the planning process here. So every government has in place a legislative process. It's good because these guys actually describe really well sort of how, how things work. So each each province has a legislative process that governs development op- applications, and they often have mandated timelines associated with those processes. The study examines some of the processes common across provinces and assesses their effectiveness at approving how affordability and efficient uh or how affordably and efficiently housing can be brought online. So the review of planning approval processes found that while most provinces generally apply the same broad planning instruments, the method of implementation, levels of transparency, and processes regarding decision-making can differ significantly from one province or municipality to the next. So there's no clear way how to do this. There is no best practices. So among the municipalities studied, the municipalities with the greatest number of identified features seemed to see, deemed as beneficial to be encouraging and expediting housing were Edmonton. This is, this is the planning features category. Um, Edmonton, Toronto, London, Oakville, Oakville, Halifax, Calgary, and Hamilton. So this is like your creativity. This is features that they're using to try and get make it easier to, to build units. So there's a, a table on this site. Let's review that and, and we'll understand what they use to compare each town. Now it's really interesting to look at where different towns are creating advantages for their owners and developers to easily renovate, add units, develop and create that value that we talk about. So Dan, why don't we just go row for row here and I'll start things off here. Sure. Uh, development guidance. Uh, development guidance information, application support materials. So I guess this would just be like your planning documents, right? Like what yeah. you can get online to to learn about what you can do with your property. The next is development application tracking, which is, this is what I was just saying, right? Like I think that good, great developers are very good at calling and holding the stakeholders accountable as soon as they are able to. Because that, that framework that's mentioned above that, you know, provinces regulate that municipalities have to follow a certain timeline. They do have to do that. They don't do it in a lot of cases. And this is where the frustration lies with developers and this whole process. But um, development application tracking is like a huge competitive advantage in the space. Um, So this, the elements of what would make a good one would be, you know, showing active applications, indicating the status and some like online dashboard, having historical application information, uh, a map of the development data and development application supporting records as well. So the next theme we have here is electronic submissions and P 
payment capabilities. These ones are probably pretty important. And the elements that would improve are the having the ability to e-submit applications. Oh, that would be great, eh? The fact that that doesn't exist. That would be a perfect fit for the 21st century. (laughs) The fact that that doesn't exist already is is just just hurts. Dude, it's so bad, too. Like, I've done this in some municipalities that I'm not going to name. Um, (laughs) I I hope that they're listening to this show right now, but um, because I actually know that one of the planners at one of these municipalities does, but the... They, their online, like they call it an online submission thing, but it's like, it's literally a form that you have to download and fill out on your computer and and scan it. (laughs) And you have to name all of the files like individually. You can't just like update, upload them. Like you have to like name them and then I think zip them. And then you don't even upload it into a portal, do you? And I think you upload it into a portal once you've done that, but it's not like you can, there's not like a different upload bar for each um, thing that you have to. You know, so anyway, it's just, it's like to, to use ability to e-submit applications is, is funny because that's, they technically have that, but it's probably worse than the most printing and driving it in. Yeah, literally. Well, if you're, if you're rattled about that, Dan, just wait, because the ability to e-pay application fees would also be an improvement that I think many municipalities could, should, and, and hopefully will adopt. Uh, the ability to e-submit building permits applications, and of course, the ability to e-pay for those building permit fees. So basically, just like open a portal and let people submit and pay for stuff online like everyone else does. I feel like we need like Shopify to go after municipalities and just like, <laughs> hey, like let's just streamline this for you. Just let people slap it on the Amex. For anyone listening, some- there's a good business idea right there, all right? Yeah. The availability of key planning documents. This is a funny one because, and I, I used to do this in, in university. They, like our class actually studied the good and bad of different municipal, like we basically did a similar study. This was part of like a project. Anyways, um, l- literally the a high proportion of municipalities don't have a dedicated interactive zoning map, like where you can like click and drag around, like, you know, like Google maps, but a zoning overlay, like, well, I'm sure a lot of you, if you're in, in real estate and you've tried to find the zoning on a property, you know this because you've probably had to download a PDF that was buried somewhere in a website on like a, you know, page A or like 2A. <laughs> like there's a key map that you have to like zoom in on and then you can't, and you have to go find the sub map somewhere else and they're all a bunch of disorganized PDFs. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, that is not how you should be running your municipality. You, If you want to be uh, on the top of this list, it would be good if you had GIS zoning map and open data, clickable, browsable, and uh, then available municipal official plans and secondary plans in the same format would be amazing. Wow. So Revolutionary. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, it would be great if somebody just invented these tools 25 years ago for us to, to do this with. Here, here's one. This next one, and I, I feel like some people might be triggered by this. But this is a hilarious word. I can't, I can't even believe this is a category in here, but accountability. So, the theme is accountability, and and where municipalities could improve is availability of municipal staff directories. 
So when you call and you want to find out the zoning person you need to speak to and you spend 45 minutes looking through the website and the phone directory and you can't find them and you end up driving in with your stack of paper and your checks, then then you then you can go track them down. Um, availability of meeting minutes, agendas and agenda items. So, I mean, this is like some pretty basic stuff here i feel like a lot of room for improvement here everybody <laughs> yeah it's fascinating um the last piece is provincial legislation and oversight so the ability to appeal land use decisions so in ontario we have the olt ontario land tribunal formerly uh alpat and formerly before that what was it omb um provincial statements of interest or policy uh mandated timelines for appeal decisions which would be huge i think like that that to me is um at timelines on anything and actual enforcement on it, I think is a big thing because the timelines exist. Just nobody pays attention to them. <laughs> um, except like Mississauga, maybe I don't know. <laughs> like there's a couple areas that are you know, hardcore about getting stuff delivered. Timed review of development submissions, um, requirement, uh, to review municipal plans on a regular basis. This already exists as well. I think it's every three or five years they have to review their and update their municipal p- plans, which is good because, like some of them, you know, I was doing a, an application, a planning application, literally very completely rigidly followed their guidelines. And it's like their um, units per net residential hectare ratio was like it, that when combined with the FSI floor space index ratio, it gave you like a 200,000 square foot building with like 40 units in it or something. Like, so it was like <laughs> the unit sizes were like 3,000, 2,000, 3,000 square feet. And I was like, guys, like this you understand the math here doesn't work this can't right? Be right i'm like <laughs> i need some nobody's selling a three th- yeah so anyway um yeah so fixing stuff like that like um would help right because in the in the you know between when they made their last plan and when they get their updated plan they realize these things oh we made a boo-boo here and we've had to amend <laughs> 50 plans in in that period of time to fix that boo-boo so now on the new one, we'll make sure that that doesn't exist, so we don't have to do this stupid little, you know, nuanced thing just to get a, a check mark. So moving on to approvals, the study tries to estimate typical approval timelines for development applications from complete application to planning approval. So from start to finish, the nature of a planning approval can take many forms, which may include some combination of a a municipal plan amendment, zoning bylaw amendment, site plan approval, plan of subdivision, and or development permit. Now, again, depending on the jurisdiction, development approvals are taking anywhere between three months in Charlottetown to 32 months in Toronto compared to findings contained in the 2022 study. Oh, sorry, 2020 study. There are some notable shifts in the average approval timelines. So municipalities studied in Ontario saw the average timelines worsened by 3%, and that's from 18.1 months to 18.6 months. So moving in the wrong direction there. Non-Ontario municipalities saw average timelines improve by 10% from 11.2 months down to just 10 months. Within Ontario, the municipalities of the Greater Toronto and Hamilton areas, that is the GTHA, saw approval timelines worsen by a whopping 18%. Yeah, that's just great. It's exactly what we needed. (laughs) 
the the last piece that they study is is the, the cost government charges you in, you know we already did an episode on this basically you know in in the gta or in, in ontario i think they had forecasted that it was something like 31 percent of the cost structure of housing goes to tax right and and not not, not all of that is these development charges but um, this section here provides a high-level overview of government charges levied by municipal governments and attempts to quantify the cost of these charges and fees, what they generate for or generated for developers, home builders, and ultimately home buyers who end up paying the 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 cost. Right? When you buy the unit, that cost is baked in. It's not like they're just you know giving it away. Nobody's signed up to do this to lose money. Although growth must pay for growth, ever increasing charges are adding to the price of a house and home buyers are often the ones who are who are paying this. So two hypothetical scenarios were studied, your low rise and your high rise and a typical uh, on a typical low rise and high rise development. So low rise average government charges per unit was 61,600 per house on a per square foot basis that's $29 per square foot. This is national. High rise development 41,400 for an apartment unit and that works out to about $52 per square foot. So more than double the low rise cost. No, that ma- that math is off. That was realtor math. Less than double. <laughs> <laughs> Just wild though. Um, you know, municipal charges are disproportionately imposed on high density developments, putting objectives for increased infill and in- intensification at risk. So the government charges modeling for two hypothetical developments, the low rise and the high rise, found that the charges imposed by municipalities on adding new housing developments are generally the highest in the GTA and the greater Vancouver area. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but the purpose-built rental development charges in Vancouver versus to- Toronto, uh, Mike, Mike Moffitt uh, tweeted out about this, something like, you know, we, and somebody, somebody um, had responded to it saying, or like quote tweeted it saying, you know, we tax carbon to get people to stop driving. We tax cigarettes to get people to stop smoking. What, what did we think was going to happen when we started taxing wow. rental housing development? Well said, right? Yeah. Yeah. So since the 2020 study, the low rise scenario has been, has seen the average municipal charges increase by 20% from 49,400 per unit to 61,600 per unit. The average municipal charge on high rise development has increased by 34%, increasing from 31,900 per unit to 41,400 per unit. Now, in many municipalities, but in all Ontario and BC municipalities that are studied, municipal charges imposed when expressed on a price per square foot basis are significantly higher for high rise developments than for low rise developments. Only in Edmonton, Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, and St. John's are price per square foot charges on high rise equal to or less than the charges imposed on low rise. On average, Charges for high-rise were $52 per square foot compared to $29 per square foot for low-rise. The disproportionate cost per square foot in municipal charges towards high-rise puts at risk municipal objectives for increased infill and intensification. This could hinder utilization of public infrastructure investments in urbanized areas such as major transit station areas or MTSAs or other transit corridors. Yeah, so let's talk about some some of these best practices, Dan, that, that 
ideally could be implemented at some point, hopefully, maybe. I'll cross my fingers here. So based on a scan of programs initiated by municipalities, provinces, and locations outside of the country of Canada to improve the development and review processes, there are several key themes involved in the process reviews underway or recently completed. So let's look at a few of these and maybe we can start to implement some of them here. That is forced technological changes after COVID and from COVID. So again, that is the, you know, hey, let's maybe make it able to pay on our website or submit something on our website. Pairing zoning reforms with off-the-shelf pre-approval designs. That basically means, hey, I've got this house here that you have said yes to 45 other times. Um, Do we need to go through the whole process again? Enhancing transparency to the public on municipal decision-making. So this is basically just like, let's pull back the curtain and have the public able to have a bit more control and commentary on what the municipalities are actually doing. Reforming provincial planning policies. Well, that one's that one's a bit more to uh, to unpack there, but uh, and and probably quite the journey for for some of these municipalities, but uh, definitely reform needed throughout Making a municipal decision-making more accountable, there's that word again, by creating service standards and enhanced appeal rights to ensure conformity and consistency with provincial policy. Employing service standards for application review, but paired with a flexible system to enable context-specific considerations that may merit longer timelines, vastly enhancing the availability of data and requiring standardized annual reports on significant planning matters such as housing approvals and other approval timelines. And finally, providing regulatory and financial relief for affordable housing projects. Okay, that last one, I think, is kind of the all-encompassing, I mean, (laughs) regulatory and financial relief for affordable housing. Yes, that's exactly what we desperately need all over the country. So let's unpack some of this, Dan. I mean, the crazy thing to me is, like we need housing like so bad and all the data points to this, right? We've been covering this for over a year on the show. Um, this is from a CMHC report called Canada's housing supply shortages, estimating what is needed to solve Canada's housing affordability crisis by 2030. And this one quote, again, kind of sums it up. Our central case and approach is that with all else being equal, million more housing units are needed by 2030. Yeah, and this is also from CMHC. About 286 new homes are currently built each year, according to the 2021 data from the Canada and Mortgage Housing Corporation. But the country's housing supply is not keeping up with population growth. Just to clarify, that's not 286, that's 286,000. 286 would be... Way Did I always say 286? <laughs> that sounds like uh, the the uh, federal housing minister. Oh, we built 286 homes, making a huge impact on the uh, housing crisis over Good here. for you. <laughs> um, okay, so we're about halfway through 2023, but let's just assume we start off 
building towards that 3.5 million new homes January 1st of 2024. So we've got six years. Okay. We, the, you know, the next six months of this year is takes us to get our permits and planning done. If we keep up at this current rate of building 286,000 homes per year, so 286,000 times six, we get 1.716 million homes. So 1,716,000 new homes. So we are about 1.784 million homes short by that math. Yeah, so this actually means we would have to be building approximately 583,000 homes per year, more than double what we are doing now. Now, there may be hope there because here's an article from CBC that touches on it. I quote, the government has promised... That's great. The government has promised to build about They're so good at delivering on those promises. I'm very grateful (laughs) that they made us another promise. Great track record there. So the government has promised to build about 400,000 homes annually for the next decade, which would still be a shortfall. There's just one problem. It's not clear where the workers are going to be coming from to build them. The average selling price of a home in Canada has also surged more than 50% in the last few years. And that's according to Reuters. Reuters, Dan, what is is it again? I don't know, actually. (laughs) Construction, meanwhile, has failed to keep up with the country's population growth. In fact, a report published by Scotiabank last year found that Canada has the lowest number of housing units per 1,000 residents in any of the G7 countries. In 2016, there were 427 units for every 1,000 Canadians. And in 2020, there was 424, according to a report Perot posted in May 2021. So, and I would expect that that's probably just getting far worse. During that time, Canada's population grew by more than 1.3 million people. And that was in a five-year period. We know that we just saw population growth of a million people in just last year. Dan, you know that meme of like the little cartoon dog sitting at the table drinking coffee while like everything is on fire Burning. around him and the yeah. text just is reads. That, is that Canada right now? It's fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. I feel like, yeah, that plays that plays really well here. Um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like to me, the logical next step of this is household consolidation and a decrease or sorry, an increase in that number of people per household. Like you can't keep going without people just having to start living, sharing homes. And they are either going to do that in an organic way, or they're going to do it by going through the process and getting building permits and cutting them up into multiple units. And the stage is set for that in such a way that we have the second or third largest square footage per person in, in the world after Australia and the U.S., And so we have a lot of excess square footage. We just don't have enough. Like when you measure people per unit, it sounds bad. When you measure people per square foot in Canada, we're actually not doing all that bad. Just an inefficient allocation of that square footage. And that's going to change. To me, that is the next phase of the Canadian economy. And the next opportunity in Canadian real estate is the reallocation of existing square footage to properly solve a housing crisis. Love that. I think that is a perfect place to end it. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you got a ton of value out of today. If you want to take some action, write a letter to your local municipality. Don't send them an email because they probably won't get it because they're apparently not on that kind of stuff these days. But uh, look, it's it's the slow moving of the needle from now on. Um, so again, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 
The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group, license number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.